Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm Dave Meyer, your host, and I am here by myself today. But we do have a guest today, an excellent guest. We're going to be bringing on Chris Hill, who is the host of Motley Fool Money. I don't know if you've listened to that podcast. I do. It's a great one. And he's the director of the Motley Fool's audio programming. He is honestly a investing and finance podcasting legend. He's been doing it since 2009. And as someone who's been doing this for nine months. I find that very impressive. And I'm grateful for him for paving the way for more shows just like ours. So we are going to be talking about mostly the stock market today. And I know this isn't our typical show, but I truly believe that as an investor, it is important that you understand what's going on in every asset class, every major asset class, right? Like I don't really follow the fine wine trading market. But I do pay attention to what's going on with bond market, the stock market, the crypto market, commodities, because it does impact real estate investments. And I know it's not always that clear, but all of these things are interconnected. And personally, I've said it before on the show, I do invest in the stock market. I don't like really pick individual stocks very frequently, but I keep about 25 or 30% of my net worth in the stock market because I just think it's smart to diversify. I know the other panelists don't. We did a show about it one time and I asked them if they invest in stock and everyone was like, no. And I was kind of surprised about that. But So it's not for everyone, but I do personally. And I think uh, if you're interested in diversifying into other asset classes, this is going to be a really helpful show for you. Chris is extremely knowledgeable about the stock market and I think you're going to learn a lot. So we're going to take a quick break. And after that, we'll be back with Chris Hill. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Chris Hale from The Motley Fool, welcome to On The Market. Thank you so much for being here. It is great to be here, Dave. Thanks for asking me. Well, of course, Chris, I feel like you've been following me around a little bit because I do listen to your podcast. It's it's great. But I also just two weeks ago, I went on a trip and I downloaded Morgan Housel's The Psychology of Money and listened to it as an audiobook. And there you were reading the book to me. And I was not expecting that. I did not know you narrated that book. It's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, 98% of the credit goes to Morgan for writing uh, truly one of the great uh, financial investing books of this century so far. Absolutely. Yeah. And you did a great job. And yeah, the book is fantastic. If you've never read it and you want just like a, I don't know how you, you could probably describe it better, but it's just like a really good introduction to some of the most important principles to personal finance, investing, finance. And it's just written and you, you do a great job narrating it, Chris, in such a digestible, story-driven way that makes it really relatable and fun to listen to. Yeah, I think Morgan is a, a great writer. Um, he has a, um, a a blog online. He's a partner at the Collaborative Fund, and he usually writes uh, an essay a week. So folks can find that online just to get a sense of his writing. The thing I tell people, and I've given a physical copy of the book as a gift to several different friends and family members. And the thing I've said to absolutely every one of them is just read the first 20 pages. You don't have to read the whole book, you know, because, you know, sometimes you give someone a book and it's a nonfiction book that can seem like homework. Yeah. But Morgan, I think, is such a great writer that he just he just draws people in and, you know, they read those first 20 pages and they're like, OK, I want to read more. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, people like you and me probably find nonfiction finance books, page turners, but I would describe it as a page turner. I don't know if anyone else sees it that way. Well, yeah. And as you said, he's like, he's basically telling stories and the overarching thesis of the book is investing success is largely about behavior. And behavior is hard to teach. You know, one of the things I, I think most people automatically assume about investing is it's about math. And it's like, well, yes, there is math involved, mm -hmm. but it it really is so much about your temperament, your mindset, your behavior. And the behavior that it takes to get wealthy is different from the behavior it takes to remain wealthy. And that's, that's really the, the opening story of the book is about um, someone he encounters who uh, has made a lot of money and then quickly loses a lot of money. Yeah, it's a great book. So definitely check that out. We have you here, though, to talk about the stock market. And as you know, Chris, our audience is primarily made up of real estate investors and aspiring real estate investors or people who just work in the real estate industry. Uh, but, you know, the the majority of people who invest in real estate also have some sort of uh, of their 
percentage of their net worth invested in the stock market. And so we want to pick your brain, since you're so knowledgeable about this, about the stock market. And I was hoping you could start by just telling us a little bit about where we stand today. You know, 2022 was a tumultuous year. How would you sum up what's happened over the last 12 months? Uh, it's really been a rough year. And I I know that uh, for people who are new to the stock market or thinking about the stock market, uh, the way 2022 went uh, doesn't necessarily make investing in the stock market seem more appealing. And yet, weirdly, uh, it actually is more attractive now, now that the market has sort of taken this hit that it has. Um, and it's really been a sustained hit. We, we saw a very quick dip early in the pandemic in March of, and April of 2020. And we bounced back from that very quickly. And that's, that's not the norm. Um, you know, the, the long history of the stock market broadly um, tells you that two out of three years, the market goes up, which generally means one year out of three, the market goes down. Um, I, I I am optimistic about 2023, and to be perfectly frank, I'm not usually optimistic at the start of the year, and I think part of that is because largely for the past 10 years, it's been a great run for investors. If you've been invested in the stock market for the past 10 years, yes, you're you're down a bit more now than you were 12 months ago, but you're up substantially more than you were 10 years ago. And so usually at the start of a new year, I'm like, oh boy, we've had a great run. I don't, I don't know. I don't, and, and I, I was thinking about this when I was walking to my office to, this morning that like, wow, I actually feel optimistic about 2023. It's a great feeling. Well, yeah. Cause it's like, I mean, we've been in, like you said, there was that, you know, short dip in 2020, but outside of that in basically, what is it? A 12, 14 year bull run in the stock market um, for the for majority, like something like that. Yeah, uh, really since um I would say mid 2009, you could even just say uh, you know 2010. Um from 2010 on, really since the great recession, yes there have been dips here and there, there have been some some bumpy rides, you know, uh, flash crash here, um different mini panics. I was talking with one of our analysts uh the other day about I think it was 2012 or 2013. And um, I said, do you remember there was like a six-week period where all anyone connected to the stock market did was talk about Greece? Oh, yeah. We talked about Greece like it was, you know, like Greece <laughs> had all this debt and there was this panic that Greece was going to set off this horrible ripple effect. It was going to take down the European Union and then it was going to take down the U.S. market. And, for, and now we look back on that and think, what were we doing? <laughs> like you know, I never underestimate you know investors' ability to uh, over panic uh, about things that are really just short term speed bumps. Yeah, well, so it makes sense given given that context and that a normal you know economic cycle is usually something like seven or eight years, and now we're talking about something like eleven or twelve years. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that at the beginning of the year you're kind of like, eh, is this the year? You know, is is the shoe going to drop? And now are you feeling better because? the shoe sort of has dropped? Uh, it's a couple of things, Dave. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better because the shoe has dropped. Um, anytime a company goes public, uh, you can turn on CNBC or Bloomberg and you can usually see 
Um, that company is ringing the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange, and there's a celebration. There's so much excitement, and rightfully so. But when you step back and think about it, a company going public, that's really just a, a, a capital event. That is simply a company is raising money. And so one of the things I've learned to do as an investor over the years, and it took me some time, but I, I've learned over the years to ask, why is this company going public? What do they need that money for? And sometimes there are very good and valid reasons, bullish reasons, a company's looking to invest and grow and that sort of thing. But what we saw over the last two and a half years, because of the enthusiasm, particularly in during the height of the pandemic in 2020, we, see, we saw a lot of companies going public that really didn't have any business going public. And so one of the reasons I'm optimistic as an investor about 2023 and beyond is because some of the truly great businesses are trading at lower valuations. Um, there are huge, sustainably profitable businesses that really just have had their share price knocked down a bit. Um, it hasn't truly affected the business itself. Um, they're just uh, selling at a bit of a discount. There's also, you know, it, it's one of Warren Buffett's great lines where, you know, uh, as soon as the tide goes out, you can see who's, been, who's swimming naked, you know, and that's, uh, you know, pointing towards companies that really had no business being public, um, stocks that um, got overheated. Peloton is maybe the classic example of a, a pandemic stock that, there was all this excitement. Oh my gosh, everyone's going to buy a Peloton device. Everyone's going to be working out at home. Gyms are doomed, that sort of thing. And that, you know, that clearly has not played out for Peloton. Um, and it's a, probably an open question at this point, how much longer Peloton is a standalone public company. So that's, that's part of why I'm, I'm bullish on the stock market is because I think that um, we're in a moment now where Quality truly matters, and uh, focusing on businesses with long-term plans and a, a track record of executing, um, uh, that's going to reward investors. Wow. It sounds so simple when you say it. Just focus on quality and good businesses with good business plans. Imagine that, right? <laughs> right. But, it, but it, let's go back to Morgan Housel and the psychology of money. We're all human beings, and we all get caught up. We, you know, To varying degrees, we all have FOMO. And so we will find ourselves in a position of saying, well, wait a minute, maybe I should take a flyer on that. Maybe I should put a little bit of money into that growth stock. What if they're right? You know, if I invest in 10 growth stocks, they're all unprofitable. If just one of them hits, it can be the next Amazon. It can be the next, you know, Apple, Microsoft, that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's what I think, for me anyway, makes the stock market so interesting is that, uh, you know, it's human beings who are running these businesses. Human beings make mistakes. Um, we make mistakes in investing. And uh, it's something I always try to remind myself whenever I, I buy or sell a stock, which I don't do very often. I don't transact all that often. But I try to remind myself that there is someone else on the other side of this trade. If I'm buying shares of a company and I'm thinking, oh, I'm bullish on this company, there is someone on the other side of this trade who is essentially saying, I am happy to sell you my shares of this stock because I am not as bullish on this company as you are. I do want to ask you about something, Chris. Uh, you know, it seems to me, and you know better, that a lot of the uh, 
correction in the housing market in the stock market it's been for all sorts of things but one of the impacts um has been rising interest rates and for people who listen to this show i think it's kind of obvious why a sector like the housing market which is highly leveraged is interest rate sensitive could you help us understand why the stock market if you believe it is is interest rate sensitive absolutely i think that um you know, part of this great bull run that you and I have been talking about has been fueled by uh, an environment with the Federal Reserve that has been very friendly uh, in terms of printing money, in terms of interest rates. And so those unprofitable growth companies, part of the run that they had prior to 2022 was fueled in part because money was so cheap. And when money gets more expensive, um, that really tends to punish unprofitable startups that are really looking to borrow money to fuel their growth. And in the long term, it tends to reward the businesses that have what we like to refer to as fortress balance sheets. Um, I remember when we um, started podcasting in 2009 and we were, you know, we're still in the Great Recession at that point. And one of the things we talked about at the time was particularly in the energy industry, we talked about how we were probably going to be seeing some acquisitions take place where large companies, you know, Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, like the, the behemoths of the industry, having the opportunity to buy smaller companies because those smaller companies were in trouble. Um, they were having trouble with their, their own balance sheet. So I think when, you know, stock investors look at what happened um, in 2022, there's no way to tell the story of uh, the stock market in 2022 without talking about interest rates uh, and inflation and what that did to so many of those companies. I mean, there are there are companies that uh, are, I, I am confident will make it through the next five years, um, but they absolutely got punished because of interest rates going higher and their share prices basically came back to where they were before the pandemic. Wow, that's a, that's incredible, and and speaks to why you're optimistic. If you're seeing that, you know, some of these these companies that you feel confident are still operating effectively, but have share prices a fraction of what they were. But you're optimistic, despite the fact that the path on interest rates, at least verbally, the Fed has said that they continue, they intend to continue raising rates. Um, but you still are optimistic, nonetheless. I am. But I think the important context there is my time frame as an investor is measured in decades, not in quarters. Um, individuals don't have many advantages in the stock market. We don't have advantages over algorithms. We don't have advantages over institutional investors or hedge funds or, or that sort of thing. And so on any given day or week or month or even quarter, we as individual investors in the stock market are kind of at the whim of those larger entities. The one true advantage that we have is time. So if you're a stock investor, particularly if you're younger and you're thinking about investing money over the next 30 or 40 years, you have a huge advantage over an institutional investor or a hedge fund manager or a, a trader on Wall Street whose performance is measured in 90-day increments. 
It's like, what did you do this quarter? That's how we are going to judge you. That is going to determine whether you have a job a year from now. So as individuals, one of the few advantages we have is really our ability to say, okay, if I'm thinking 20 years out, if I'm thinking even 10 years out, then yes, I'm going to pay attention to what the Fed does with interest rates in 2023. But over a 10-year period, a 20-, 30-year period, um, what happens in the short run is going to get smoothed out over time. Because again, these are, these are capitalist businesses. You know, a, a company like Microsoft is going to pay attention to the cost of money. They're going to pay attention to interest rates. But it is not going to materially affect their plans for what they want to do in terms of acquiring more customers, retaining those customers, innovating their software. Same for Apple, same for Amazon, Alphabet, any of the transformational companies of the last 25 years. So that's a, you know, that's an important thing to keep in mind. It's like, you know, well, well, what are these companies going to do? It's like, well, if the Fed does this, what do we think companies are going to do? That's a great question to ask. It's an important question. But the larger the company, the the more fortress-like their balance sheet, the less they have to worry so much about the cost of borrowing money. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So just trying to sort of summarize your, your position here in 2023 is that like the fact what matters, yes, like the Fed's behavior is going to impact short stocks in the short term, probably for companies that are inherently more volatile or risky in the first place. But for big companies and maybe just for every company the the fact that really matters is the discount on on prices um if you're a long-term investor is that a decent summary yes i think it is and i i, I would just add to that uh, you know one thing that we've seen over the past 12 months is different companies um dealing with inflation dealing with higher interest rates and in some cases companies absorbing those costs um, it really is a fine line that companies try to manage uh, when it comes to what they're charging people. Um, Warren Buffett has said that the the quality he loves to see more than any other when he is looking to buy shares of a business is pricing power. Is this a business that has the ability to methodically raise prices over time in such a way that it does not alienate their customers? And one example that we saw in 2022 was Chipotle. I mean, Chipotle did a phenomenal job of absorbing some costs as their input costs of, of proteins and, and rice and avocados went up, but they passed some of those costs on to their customers and customers were willing to pay it. It's one of the things that has made Starbucks such an incredible investment over the past 20 years is Starbucks has just methodically raised the price of a cup of coffee. They've innovated with cold beverages, which I do not drink. I never drink those beverages, but as a Starbucks shareholder, I love that they sell them, and I love that people like my daughters buy them. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is uh, honestly uh, an incredible uh, asset to these companies, especially in times of inflation like we've seen right now. It becomes even more important when 
your input costs are so variable. We've seen these crazy variable material costs. This is true in real estate as well. Um, and, and fortunately for those companies, some of them are able to just pass those prices along and keep operating like they have been. I mean, I can't blame Chipotle. I would, I would pay, I would pay anything for Chipotle to be honest. I, you know, it's it's uh, again, it's been fascinating to watch, and I think what will be equally fascinating to watch is as inflation comes down, and we've seen this trend line over the last six months. I mean, as you and I are talking, the price of a gallon of gas, the average price of a gallon of gas in the United States, is actually lower than it was. 12 months prior. I saw that. Yeah. And it, you know, and it, it sort of went up over the last 12 months, but it's come back down and, 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 uh, and dropped below where it was 12 months ago. Um, what's going to be interesting to see is businesses like Chipotle, Pepsi as well. That's another business that I think has done a very effective job of, of raising prices. Uh, Campbell's Soup, we were talking about this on our podcast the other day. You don't necessarily think of Campbell's Soup as, um, as a company with pricing power, but they actually do uh, and have executed uh, a sales strategy that involves raising prices. I think it's going to be fascinating to see Pepsi, Campbell's Soup, Chipotle, and others. Do they start lowering prices at some point? And if they do, how much do they lower them uh, to uh, really you know, entice new customers and, and sort of build that customer loyalty? Yeah, that, that's very, very interesting. So Chris, I'd love to I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about our audience as as real estate investors who are primarily real estate investors. How would you recommend or what advice would you give to them about investing in the stock market in 2023? Some people who are real estate investors, you know, save money and the put money into the market between purchases and uh in in real estate or uh, people like me uh, who invest primarily in real estate still put 25 or 30% of my net worth into the stock market. So how should people with that context think about investing in the coming year? I think if you're interested in investing in the stock market, uh, I would say two things right at the top. Uh, first, you shouldn't be investing any money that you need in the next five years. If you think you need it for anything, for a, a real estate purchase or investment, um, uh, paying for a, a new car or, or you know for someone to go to college, that sort of thing, uh, it should not be in the stock market. It should be in in a a very safe investment vehicle. Bonds are pretty attractive right now in terms of their uh, percentage that they're paying, more attractive than they've been in a long time. So I would recommend that. But if if it's money. Um, you need in the next five years, it shouldn't be in the market. If you're thinking five to 10 years out and beyond, then the second thing I'd say is start with just something basic like an S&P 500 um, index fund uh, or ETF. Uh, at The Motley Fool, we are big fans of Vanguard because Vanguard tends to have the lowest annual fee. And um, I, I think that is probably the best first step for anyone who is new to the stock market because it gives you broad exposure. You're getting you know little pieces of the 500 largest companies in the United States. And, and it's really just a great first step. The other thing I'll add, Dave, is that I think a lot of people when they are starting out think that they need to jump in in a big way. Um, and we're big fans of diversification. But you know if you've got a chunk of money in an 
S&P 500 index fund or a total market index fund, you're, you're, you've got instant diversification. Um, so if you want to take the next step and start looking at individual companies and becoming uh, a share owner of some of those companies, you can start slowly and you probably should. Um, one of our um, analysts who's a regular on our podcast talks about how he's a big fan of what he calls buying in thirds, just sort of dipping his toe in the water of a new company. When he's looking to buy shares of a new company, he doesn't go all in right away. He sort of says, well, I'm going to put a little bit of money in this. I'll, I'll Maybe I'll dollar cost average my way in. Um, and sometimes you're buying shares at a higher price uh, down the line. Um, but that's okay. If it's if it's a great business and you're investing for a long time, it's going to reward you in the long run. That, that's great advice. I have heard you talk about it on the show, and I, I really like that. That's just not something you can do in real estate either. You know, it, it's it's very difficult uh, in our in our industry to sort of dip your toe in. Um, so that that could be a really good thing for people looking to diversify, a good option for them to to test the waters in the stock market slowly. If you are, you know, I yeah, I follow all the personal finance news. Everyone says, just buy index funds, which is true. And I think it's a good thing to do. But it is kind of fun to pick stocks. And I, I like do it just as like a, you know, hobby. I don't put a huge amount of money in it. Um, but for people who do like, it just seems so hard. Like, how do you how do you get started in even identifying a company that you want to invest in? And how do you distill the information you need to determine if it's a great company, like you said? Peter Lynch, one of the great investors of the last 50 years, um, wrote one of the, the classic books. Um, uh, he was Fidelity's uh, fund manager. Um, ran their biggest uh, mutual fund, the Magellan Fund, and then wrote a, a great book about it called One Up on Wall Street. And one of the things he wrote about and popularized was this idea of look around you, look at the products and services you're already buying and using every day and um, use that as a starting point. Now, some people make the mistake of using that as their end point as well and just saying, well, I... I you know, I shop at Safeway, so I, I, I'm I'm going to buy shares of that grocery store. Um, but again, for for Peter Lynch, it was like, no, that's a starting point, and it, and it is, it is a great starting point, um, particularly if you're already spending money there. I mean, you talk about Chipotle. Um, I love Chipotle. I'm a shareholder. Same for Starbucks. Um, if uh, you know, I grew up in New England. If uh, if Dunkin' Donuts was still a public company, I would probably be a shareholder of that as well. Oh man, but their their stock price would have has probably doubled just by my consumption when <laughs> I lived on the East Coast. Same for me. Um, but but I think I think that's a, a sort of a great place to start. It's sort of like, well, you know, what am I already buying? What am I already spending my money on? But from there. I think, you know, there are two questions I recommend anyone ask when they're thinking about a business. And the first question is, how does this company make money? What is their business? And the second question is, how do they plan to make more money in the future? So if it's if it's a, a you know, a restaurant business like Chipotle, and Starbucks is technically in the restaurant category as well, it's looking at, well, you know, how are they growing their uh, number of locations? Um, are they building loyalty? Um, do they have rewards programs? All that sort of thing. And and finding businesses that, again, can reward people 
for the purchases that they're making. I mean, if you think about it, when you go to Chipotle, you're making, you know, just to get lunch, you're making an investment. You're investing 10 bucks in a burrito and they want to reward you for your investment so that you come back again next week or possibly even tomorrow and buy another burrito. Um, and it's the same thing with stock investing. You want, you want to look for businesses that um, have a plan to acquire and retain customers. And for, you know, for some businesses, they're right in front of you. They're, you know, they're consumer-facing businesses. For others, it's a little more difficult. I mean, Microsoft is a company everyone's familiar with, but you, you know, that's a business that you also have to sort of dig into. And so much of what they do is business-to-business, business, selling software packages to different companies, that sort of thing. Um, so it, you know, it's, um, for people who are interested in sort of digging in, you can dig in and sort of find the information on sort of those those businesses that aren't right in front of you or, you know, or in your pantry. Um, you know, anytime we talk about a business like Johnson & Johnson or Procter & Gamble, I often make the comment on the show that, like, absolutely everyone listening to this podcast right now has something in their home made by this company. You know, you've, you've, you've undoubtedly got some Procter & Gamble cleaning product um, uh, or household product, wherever you are, wherever you live. I, I love that example. I, you made me think of something. I've, I've bought a lot of stocks on a whim and regret it. But one, one time I did it well was, um, in my role as, you know, at, at bigger pockets, I, I work as the VP of data and analytics. Like I do internal stuff as well. And we rely on this one software and one year, you know, it was kind of up and coming company. They'd gone public and they came to us and they needed to, they literally, I think it was like six or eight X star pricing in like one year. And I paid it because we had to, it was so valuable. And I was like, then I was like, I have to buy this stock because like, if I'm willing to just like, you talk about pricing power, if I'm just willing to like six or eight X our, our spend on this company, it's so great. It's such a great product. Like I'm sure everyone else is doing that. That one actually worked out well for me, but I think it's just a good example of like, paying attention to the things that are going around on around you and the dynamics with the businesses that you're interacting with regularly. Um, Chris, one, one question I, I wanted to ask, uh, about this is, is, is stock picking for everyone? Like how time intensive is this? Like, if, you know, most people I think probably should just be buying index funds or what is your opinion about that? And if you're going to try and pick stocks and follow the advice that you just gave, you know, how time intensive is it and how much, you know, commitment do you need to do it well? It's as time intensive as you want to make it. Um, it, it truly is. Um, there are a lot of very smart people I know who have done very well simply just investing in index funds for decades. And they just don't have the interest. Um, Maybe they have the time, maybe they don't. But even if they have the time, they don't want to commit it. And, they're, and they do very well just executing that strategy, just methodically every two weeks, every month, putting money into an index fund. You do that for decades, you're going to be in great shape. I think for people who want to um, take the next step and really sort of build out a portfolio of individual stocks and at The Motley Fool, from an aspirational standpoint, we really recommend that people look to get diversification in the form of 25 to 30 stocks in your portfolio. 
So 25 to 30 different companies, ideally spread out over different industries. You know, it, it, you're, you're probably, <laughs> you're not going to be diversified if you own 25 share, you know, t- shares of 25 different companies and they're all in the software industry, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that particularly early on, something you want to pay attention to is just to the extent that you can sort of step back and evaluate how you feel. Not necessarily how your portfolio is doing, but just sort of like, how am I feeling about this? Is this something that I'm thinking about in the middle of the night when I wake up? Is this something that's concerning me? Um, You know, from time to time, we talk about the sleep factor. And I'm a huge believer in that. I've lived that as an investor, that if you are losing sleep over your investments, you need to change the way you're investing. I mean, I've absolutely had that happen. Um, Not for a long time, I'm happy to say. But 15, 20 years ago, yeah, there were stocks that I was buying and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't get back to sleep because I was just thinking about these stocks. And I thought, I got to get rid of these. <laughs> yeah, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. And in, and in the case of one of them, it was a stock that was up. Like it was not, oh my gosh, I'm losing sleep because I'm losing money. I literally bought a business. And, and this is one other thing I'll say in terms of like for people who are, who are thinking about buying shares of individual companies. I cannot recommend highly enough. The better you understand how the business works, the better you're going to do as an investor and the better you're going to sleep. Um, this, this was, I think, 2003, 2004. I bought shares of a biotechnology company. A friend of mine who's a very smart guy had written uh, up a report about this company. I read the report three times. I understood maybe half of what this company did. I bought shares. The stock went up something like 30% in a few months. And I, Dave, I was literally waking up in the middle of the night just thinking about this company. And I was just like, I got to... I sold the stock. I took the short-term capital gains hit. I just thought, I'm never doing that again. And it's, it's you know, again, to go back to businesses that you understand how they make money, it's probably not going to be shocking to you that the company that I have done the best with as an investor is Starbucks. They, it's a coffee shop. It's a very big coffee shop. It's a global coffee shop, but it's a coffee shop. I understand how they make money. I understand that business better <laughs> yeah. than any other stock in my portfolio. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's something you can relate to. You can like physically go see it. It's tangible, um, which definitely makes sense. I, I really like that idea of the sleep factor. I think that's so true. Um, and I love your story about just like even though the business was the the stock was doing well because you didn't understand the business, you didn't. It sounds like you didn't know if it was going to all fall apart or, you know, if if the gains were real because you just didn't yeah. didn't really inherently know why it had gone up and whether it was going to go down. Exactly. And, you know, not surprisingly, uh, science was not my strong suit when I was in school. So, <laughs> you know, that wasn't helping. That wasn't helping matters either. OK, yeah, well, that that that's going to uh, chalk. I'm going to have to get rid of like half of the industries then by that by that criteria before I start picking stocks. But actually, that's a, that's a good transition, actually, to, to what I did want to ask you about, which is REITs, uh, because I uh, am interested in investing in REITs as a real estate investor, and I think a lot of people listening to this are probably interested as well. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about like the current state of the REIT market? I can tell you a little bit. Um, I, I'm going to start by uh, recommending an episode of uh, our podcast, Motley Fool Money. Um, it's our... 2023 
preview episode um, that we published in late December. And um, one of the analysts who was on that episode is Matt Argusinger, um, uh, a guy I've uh, known and worked with for 15 years. Um, Matt has a true passion for real estate and is someone who invests in real estate, um, has uh, some Airbnb property as well. Um, on that episode, he talks a lot about uh, real estate investment trusts, recommends a few as well. One of the things he talks about on that episode is just sort of, um, you know, and this sort of, re you know, relates to the overall stock market as well is, you know, uh, we've seen it throughout history. There are times when stocks get sold off to such a degree that you can sort of step back and go, well, wait a minute. The, you know, I get that we've been in a rough patch here, but it, it, some of these stocks now seem absurdly cheap. Um, and so part of what Matt talked about on that episode was um, some of the areas of the real estate investment trust market that he's looking at and thinking to himself, okay, I, I understand everything that's going on. I understand what's happening with interest rates, but some of these REITs are looking uh, you know, the assumptions built in are so pessimistic that um, uh, uh, this looks like a great opportunity for uh, people who are interested in investing in REITs. Oh, great. Well, yeah, definitely check that out. I'll just mention to our audience, like I, the reason I personally like REITs is because I'm a firm believer, similar to your policy about stock market, Chris, is that like as an investor in real estate, you should stick to somewhat what you know. You know, like you shouldn't be, you know, I'm mostly a residential real estate investor. I don't buy office buildings and I don't really ever intend to, uh, or industrial or cell phone tower land, you know, but you know, they're interesting businesses that do that and do well. And like, I understand real estate well enough to understand the fundamentals of those business. I, I you know, I couldn't underwrite one of their ex exact, you know, leases for a cell phone tower, but I like understand the inputs and outputs. Um, and it allows you to diversify even within real estate in a way that I, I find really valuable. So if you listening to this are also interested in in doing something like that, um, check out that episode. What uh, what what do you say it was called? Twenty twenty three state of. Uh, it, it's uh, the title of the episode is twenty seven stocks for twenty twenty three. Okay. Um, we published it in a late late December. Um, you know, one other thing I'll add there um, that you just reminded me of, Dave, and this this goes for stocks, this goes for real estate investment trusts as well. Um, there are people running these businesses, and one of the things that's great um, about you know, you know, I was talking before about companies that you know IPO and they're they're new to the market. Those can be exciting businesses, but part of what's challenging there for stock investors is these are businesses that don't have a great long track record. And this is a management team that does not have a track record of running a public business. And running a public company is so much more challenging than running a private company. Um, and part of the things, you know, one of the things we like to see, obviously, we focus on businesses. But we also uh, at The Motley Fool like to look at, well, who are the people running this? What is their track record? And you can see uh, great CEOs with long track records. Um, part of that uh, great track record can be capital allocation. You see that in real estate investment trusts as well, where it's, oh, this is a management team that has been in place for 10, 15 years. They've been through this before. And that's, you know, that's, that's part of 
what I think is interesting about this moment in time for investors is we're seeing companies really go through their first sustained bear market in a long time. And, and we're going to see how some of these management teams react. Not all of them are going to do great, um, but the ones who have been through it before I think that's the kind of thing that gives shareholders more confidence. That That's excellent advice. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I definitely resonate with that. I mean, I started investing in real estate in 2010, so I haven't been through a downturn, to be perfectly honest. So I think we'll see a lot of businesses, uh, real estate operators um, and, and other, you know, recently IPO, well, IPO in the last decade or so. Um, so that's that's very good advice. There's a lot of uh, inexperience with these types of market conditions, this point of the economic cycle, um, and yeah, experience definitely helps during these types of during these types of times. Uh, Chris, we do have to get out of here, unfortunately. This has been very fun. But uh, is there any other uh, tips or advice that you think our audience should know about the stock market heading into the new year? Um, I, you know, you, you just reminded me of um, something that the great philosopher Mike Tyson once said, which is um, <laughs> everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, particularly for people who are, who are new to stock investing, um, in general, and I'm sure there have been studies that have done on this, people overestimate their risk tolerance. Uh, particularly younger people, they think, you know, uh, you know, so when you go through scenarios of, well, if you uh, had a stock portfolio and it fell 30% over a six month period, would, you know, how would you feel about that? It's like, oh, I'd be okay with that. And, you know, what we saw in 2022 <laughs> was the market in general, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, having its worst year since 2008. And in some cases, individual companies losing 70% of their value. And so I, you know, that's again, it's it's one more thing that nobody really talks about when they're starting out investing. Certainly, when I was uh, a much younger investor, no one was really talking to me about temperament and mindset. Um, but the older I've gotten, the more I've come to appreciate those soft skills. Um, yes, there is math involved in stock investing, but it's not complicated math. It's the math that we all learned basically in grade school and, and middle school. It's not advanced calculus. If it was, I would not be doing it. <laughs> I say that all the time. I, I, it's not. But I think it, it reminds me, Chris, I, I, that reminds me, I think it was in, in Morgan's book, The Psychology of Money. I'm sorry, I read and listen to a lot. It might be confusing it. But I think he says that um, one of the key things to do as an investor is to make a plan for a downturn, like during normal times. Was that in in the psychology of money? Yes. One of the things he talks about is um, you know um, the margin of safety, and you know, and uh, the the point of the margin of safety is is to essentially render it you know as a as a moot point. You know, eventually you want to get to the point where you can sustain any type of downturn. And you want to do that with your own personal net worth. And again, to go back to some of the companies we were talking about earlier in the conversation, that's that's where times like these favor large companies that have a lot of cash on the balance sheet. And they're not as concerned about what's happening with interest rates because they've got a big pile of cash um, sitting in a vault somewhere. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, building up over time and, and getting to that point where, uh, you're sleeping well at night, and you can you can make it through downturns. Downturns aren't fun. They're never you know. Um, early in 2022, I was a guest on a um, 
uh, a, a wonderful podcast in the UK called Playing Footsie. And um, it's these three guys who are uh, much younger than I am. Uh, the, and, and for those who are wondering why the name of the podcast is Playing Footsie, it's uh, a reference to the uh, London stock, stock market, the FTSY, uh, FTSE, excuse me. Um, and one of the things they asked me, you know, this is like early 2022 and the market is starting to turn and it's starting to look ugly. And they, and they, they basically asked me like, you know, um, you know, this, this feels pretty bad to us, but you know, it's, it, it, you're probably used to stuff like this. They're like, this doesn't bother you, does it? And I gave them an answer that I'm sure they did not want to hear because I said, I said, oh no, this feels terrible. <laughs> it always feels terrible. It, it's never fun when the market goes down, but the more you do it, the longer you do it, um, the more you realize that, um, you know, this is the advantage we have as individuals. We can play the long game um, and any investor who played the long game always came out wealthier on the other side. That's great advice for for any asset class, honestly. Just playing the long game, time is your friend. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here. You're an absolute podcasting legend, and we appreciate you uh, you laying the groundwork for other finance and investing shows like ours. And uh, it was very fun to have you on, and hopefully we'll uh, get to do this again sometime. It was my pleasure, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Big thanks to Chris Hill for joining us for this episode of On the Market. Just some final thoughts before we get out of here is it's just amazing whenever I talk to anyone who's an expert in the stock market, which I am not. But I think it's just really fascinating about how the principles are so much the same, right? It's the same thing in real estate as it is in the stock market where time is your friend, right? Unless you're flipping, you know, most of the time, the longer you hold an asset, the less risky it is, the most profitable it's going to be. If you want to be, you know, accessing your money, I love when Chris said this, like if you want to rely on this money in the next five years, you shouldn't be putting it in the stock market. I think something similar can be said about real estate because you never know every kind of market, every time of investment has some level of volatility. It's going to go up and down. Over the long run, it trends upward. And so that's why the longer you hold it, um, the better it is. The same thing is true with uh, real estate. And I love that he was just talking about quality, right? Like over the last couple of years in the stock market, things have gotten wild where people were taking a lot of risk um, and betting on companies that weren't foundationally strong. And I think Probably all of us have seen something like this in the real estate market, too, where people are stretching their underwriting a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, and now the focus is returning back to those fundamentals, back to uh, focusing on quality. So uh, I loved talking to Chris. I thought it was great. And, you know, I know not everyone here, uh, listen, you know, invests in the stock market. As I've said, I do. Um, you know, I think it's important personally for me, my risk appetite, my philosophy is that uh, investing across different assets classes um, is a good way to diversify. And so I do it. But even if you didn't, I think it's just really interesting to learn about what's going on in the stock market because these asset classes are connected, right? Like it's not like the stock market and what happens in the stock market is completely isolated from what happens in the real estate market. Just as a quick example, right? Like over the last couple of years, we've seen the housing market explode. A lot of that, or some of it at least, can be said that, you know, people who made a ton of money in the stock market now had extra money that they were investing into the real estate market. You see that reflected in 
what Taylor Marr told us the other day, that second uh, demand for second homes went up 90 percent due to the pandemic. Sure, some of that was due to low mortgage rates, but it's also happens to be that, you know, the stock market and crypto markets were going insane and people had a lot of extra money to burn. So I think as an investor, it's really important to at least have a good understanding. You don't have to be an expert in every asset class, but have a good understanding of what's happening in the stock market, the bond market, all these different markets, because they do impact investing your investments. They do impact the housing market. And so hopefully this episode was helpful for you. We would love to hear your feedback about it, because honestly, we don't always do these stock market shows. Um, and, and we're curious what you think about it. You can send me the feedback on Instagram, where I'm at the data Dell. You can find me on Bigger Pockets, or we have uh, on the market forums on bigger pockets where you can submit your feedback as well. So please hit us up. Let us know what you think of it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time for On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.